Hi, welcome to the Vine Church podcast. This week we've got a great speaker. Hope you enjoy it. I'm holding your hand and I'm here to help you. Um, it says in Isaiah 41, 13, this is the where it kind of speaks. So it says, for I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand, which just means your leading hand. So if you're a left hand, he takes hold of your left hand, okay? And if you're right hand, he takes hold of your right hand. He takes hold of your leading hand and says to you, don't fear, do not fear, I will help you. And that's beautiful. There's lots of moments. I remember the first time Aaron took my hand. It was a sweet moment. I got out of the car and he came around and he clasped my hand and it was a special moment. I remember it. I'm like, ooh, that's nice. But how much more if we tune in to the moment that God just takes our hand in a moment. If we were switched on to that, it would change the way we walk in a room. It would change the way we walk in a situation. And that's just what I want to bring to mind for you. Um, I'm going to tell you a wee story about uh, my dad, because my dad, I love my dad's hands as well. Aidan has beautiful hands. He could be like on an advert. He's kind of got model hands. <laughs> really, if you ever get a chance, you should check out my husband's hands. They're <laughs> 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 really nice. But it was actually one thing I prayed for when I, when I was wanting, <laughs> what do I want in a man? I want a wise man. I'm like, yes, I want that. That was top of the list, okay? So I did have some good priorities too. I wanted a man with big hands. And now, the reason I wanted a man with big hands is because I felt like my hands were a bit big. So if his hands were bigger, I'd feel like my hands were small. (laughs) But he does have nice hands. Anyway, moving back to my dad's. My dad's hands are also nice. Not quite as big as Aaron's. Still sweet hands. Um, I love my dad's hands, just in case you ever listen to the message, Dad. (laughs) Um, Once, recently, my dad's had something that grew on his finger. It was a little growth that grew on his finger, and basically he had to go to the doctor. The doctor says, okay, we can lance that, which just basically means we can cut that off. Be sore, we'll need to, to obviously do a wee minor op, as it's called, and we can lance that off, and we'll give you some painkillers and so on and so forth. It'll repair, but there is a ch- small chance that it may come back. And uh, So my dad opted for this, and um, bless him, he went through it, and... It was a lot of pain. But aside from that, I always thought to myself, well, my d- when I look at my dad's hands, I just see kindness, caring. It doesn't ha- matter how they look. And there was one time he was coming through and he's, he'd had this little minor rock, but his pain his pain was kind of up there. My dad was quiet and I could tell there was something bothering him. And I was saying, how's your hand? And uh, one of his friends was, was there at the time. And he says, ah, well, it's good that you got that off your hand because it, it was a mess beforehand. I remember feeling a bit offended. I'm like, my dad's hands don't look like a mess. <laughs> my dad's hands are amazing. And if you had one on every finger, I'd still think my dad's hands were amazing. But it's just that feeling of, I loved my dad's hands for what they represent. And I, I want you to think, of the father looks at your hands, and maybe you think your hands are flawed. Maybe they're not as, maybe you had, don't your fingers are slightly crooked. Or maybe they're perfectly straight and you've got very manicured hands like Aaron does have nice hands. They're maybe not manicured, but they are nice hands. But maybe your hands are beautiful. Maybe your hands are slightly flawed and maybe you look at your hands. But God, when he looks at your hands, he loves every single part of your hand. Just like that reflection of, mine's a small, when it says, how much more does a father love 
us, if we know how to give good gifts to our children, that relatable story, how much more does he delight in our hands when he looks to take your hand? He delights in your hand. But I want you to think there's there's more than that in the promise that God loves holding your hand. I'm going to tell you a cool story. I found this cool story of a clinical psychologist. His name's Dr. James Cowan. And he worked in a hospital and he worked with patients that had post-traumatic stress disorder and he would work through treatment program to try and help them work through that. And anyway, one gentleman had been suffering from post-traumatic stress and had come to him and said, listen, well, he was referred to the clinical psychologist. I don't know if he particularly was too up for it at first. This gentleman had been in the war and he was suffering some symptoms. He hadn't suffered them before, but later on in life he suffered some symptoms. So he went to this psychologist and the psychologist was explaining, well, yeah, I can help you. We can work through some things. And the clinical psychologist was said the man was a bit rude, to be honest. And was like, well, I'll come, but I'll come only if my wife comes. And he thought, well, sure, no one's really asked me that before, but I'm sure you can bring your wife. And so it came to the day when they were going to work through the process together. And here he comes in and he's brought his wife with him. And of course, he sits down and the clinical psychologist goes, right, okay. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to start working through some of the things you're experiencing, so working through the difficulties that you've had and that you've endured. And the man went, no. And he's like, okay, well, right, well, we can start a different way. What we're going to do is some progressive muscle relaxation, and this is just a treatment that we use for people that have um, maybe been in traumatic, tense situations where their body's got so tense that they forget how their body is to relax. And so what we do is we do uh, some exercises where we tense up and then we relax and we teach the brain how to relax, remember how that feeling is. And the man went, no. He's like, okay. And at this point, his wife reached over and clasped his hand and says, I'll do it with you. And that changed the man's reaction. And he started going through this, this um, pro progressive muscle relaxation. And this psychologist was like, oh, that was quite cool. Okay, so they did it and they worked through tensing up and relaxing and getting through that. And again, it got to the point where he says, well, we really need to start approaching the subject of, you know, what you went through and really start to unravel that a little bit. Maybe you could start sharing that now. The guy's like, no. Again, his wife reached over, clasped his hand, says, I'll, I'll be with you. And the man started to open up. Now, the psychologist thought, this, wow, this is phenomenal. And the, the treatment went on, and this kind of happened each time. The wife would take his hand, and he felt this kind of courage or strength um, to open up. And he actually, uh, she actually set him on a trajectory that went faster through a treatment than somebody if they were there on their own. So he actually experienced a quicker result at working through the treatment with just having his wife there holding his hand. And he thought, well, that's fascinating. He says, but he says, I, I'm fascinated with this. I want to do some more study on this because that was quite amazing what happened there. And so he decided to do a brain imaging study. So he thought, I'm going to reproduce a traumatic situation and study what the brain's doing 
oh, somebody is in that situation. So he did. He set up this study and he would invite couples in to go into an MRI scan, which is basically a tube, attach the brain all up to wires, etc. And that's usually traumatic in enough of itself because you're quite claustrophobic and you're in there with all these... He says, but that wasn't enough. He thought, no, I just need to induce another level of stress. So what I'll do is I'll shock them just to get some action going with the brain. <laughs> and so he did. He, what happened is the person would either see a, a red X or a blue circle. When they saw the blue circle, they were safe. If they got, saw the red X, there was a 20% chance that they would get a small electric shock to their ankle during the scan, which meant when they were getting the scan, of course, the brain was firing away like, <laughs> obviously panicking that it was about to get shocked. Potential is shock, and he thought, well, now we can work and see what the brain's doing. So this was happening. They are monitoring the brain, and yet it was firing away as it, they would imagine it to do. Then they did the same thing, but they had a stranger take the person's hand, and they did the same thing again with a loved one or a partner taking the, the person's hand who was getting scanned. Now, the results varied at each stage. So when the, a stranger took the person's hand, the kind of fight or flight emotions that like your pulse going up, your heart rate going up, was slightly reduced in the brain. There wasn't the, the kind of panic going on. But when this loved one took the hands, there was a dramatic reduction in how the brain was firing. It seemed to cope at a way better level with just holding hands. And he thought, wow, this is fascinating. He says, well, I'm not quite satisfied. I want to do and see what's happening in the partner's mind. So they did a brain imaging scan on them at the same time. And the most fascinating thing was the partner who was holding the, like the loved one, who was holding the loved one's hand, their brainwave pattern was freakily similar to the person that was, you know, that they were holding. So they found that, wow, brains of a loved person one can completely sink. So if you can imagine that, that's a positive thing. If that person's taking your hand and calming you down and sinking and bringing you a place of peace. Now, if we flip that back and think, God takes your hand. Wow. You know, wow. Let's stop for a minute. If Jesus takes my hand, but there has to be an awareness in our hearts and minds that we are holding the hand of God. Because if I'm not aware that I'm holding the hand of God, then there's no kind of relation or link for me to download or sync how the Father has seen us. Because like what we're, you know, Stuart was saying on Sunday, there's lots of things that fire around in our minds that are negative. But we need to link in. Don't worry, Kirsty. <laughs> we need to link in to the, to the Father. It's beautiful. You know, it says in John 17, verse 21, that Jesus even prayed a beautiful connection. He prayed that we may be one with him as he is one with the Father. We can sink and become one with Father God when we're walking through life. That sinking with with him, it can really impact yeah, on that level, which I thought was really quite cool. You know, other thing is with holding hands or grasping. The palmer grasp, the baby grasp. The beautiful baby has left the room. <laughs> But palmer grasp, you girls are all aware of, when a, a baby uh, has something stroke the palm of their hand, they instantly grasp. This develops in about 11 weeks gestation. 
and it goes on until they're about five to six months of age. Um, so the research has suggested anyway. But having had a few children myself, I'm aware that at five to six months of age, something else happens in a baby. And it's that usually at that time that they can sit unaided. In other words, sit up without you holding them the whole time or without them toppling over. So there's a level of independence that happens when they release from the grasp reflex. And I wonder when you relate it back to holding the hand of God, if we are aware that of our need when we first realize our passion for God and holding on to him, and then suddenly we, we get a bit more independent, think, wow, actually, I can do this. And our focus changes, and we become a bit more independent. And, the, you know, we don't necessarily focus that God's holding our hand or that we need to hold the, the Father God's hand. There's a f That's just something that I just saw when I saw that palmer grasp reflex. Maybe that independence, we need to re-depend ourselves on God when we kind of switch to, I can do this. Because sometimes we think we can do things until we realize, oh, actually, I'm pretty rubbish at doing this. God's better when I'm, I'm better when God's helping me. I'm better at parenting when God helps me. I'm better at leading in life when God helps me. And I don't just rely on my own strength. I'm a better wife when I'm relying on the Father God helping me. That holding on hands. So what is it that makes us aware to hold God's hand? I want you to think of a psalm. There's a beautiful psalm, Psalm 51. It says, um, create in me a clean heart. This is from verse 10 onwards. O God, and renew a right, persevering, and steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. And some translations say, sustain me with a willing spirit. So that ongoing move from um, our, in our relationship with God needs that sustenance, is a willingness. Now, that psalm was written when David, who's known for having a heart after God in the Bible, but he just blown it. He just realized that he started focusing on the wrong things. He took his eyes off God and <laughs> put his eyes onto something not of God, that God didn't want for him, basically. And he got to himself of, ah, no, I'm blown it. And he's saying, creating me a clean heart. But restoring to me and upholding me, that image of God's hand upholding you, sustaining you, but it's a willing spirit. What does willing mean? Well, when we look in the dictionary, it means ready, eager, or prepared to do something. Um, or the thesaurus will say it's energetic, prompt, reliable, obedient, compliant, agreeable. Who's feeling all those things right now? <laughs> you know, there's a lot of times maybe even in the calendar when you feel less compliant or less agreeable or, you know, not to uh, prepare to do something. But we don't want to be just ruled by feelings or hormones or anything like that. We want to be led by God's leading, led by the Spirit of God, but led with a willingness. You know, there's a, it's something beautiful in it, but how, how do we just switch to willingness? You know, there's something, what is that? 
How do we do it? Let's have a look at something else. It says in 1 Peter 5 and verse 6, it says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. There it is again. The hand of God. We need to humble ourselves. You know, sometimes feeling like we've got it all together, we can do it. It's almost like that, looking at the baby stage. No, I can sit up by myself. I know, back, I don't need this grasp thing all the time. But God is saying, no, stay connected. It's so important. You know, one of the number one things of um, living longer in life, research has said, is actually being in community. So those people that have lived the longest are those that are well integrated into their community, which is great. I think probably Britain is, or even so I'm including us in this, is that our culture is probably, I don't know, it's not a, a massive strong point in the UK. Because of social media, we live at a distance from one another. So, um, but yeah... Relationships are so key to staying healthy and staying real and staying connected. And Jesus is saying, I've got you by the hand, but you need to stay aware. There's a willingness, but a humility, a constant remembering, I need you, God. I'm under your hand. Okay, so it says, wait a minute, I'm going to grab my phone because I need this, but I forgot to write the full verse down. Thanks, Tom. So it says in First Peter 5, Verse 6, humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. God lifts us up. We go through storms. We go through hard times. It can be really rough at times, eh? Life can be. It's not always peachy. It's sometimes broken and grieving. But when we're holding God's hand, somehow we have the strength to face our day. Somehow he gives us the grace to get through the strength. But one thing that verse 6 and 1 Peter 5 verse 6, it leads on to verse 7. There's, It says, um, Humble yourselves on, therefore in God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. All your, your worries, your concerns on him, for he cares affectionately and he cares watchfully. That's what it says in the Amplified. Affectionately, you can't be affection without with somebody without, you know, hands-on. Affection to me is definitely hands-on. And God is a hands-on God. He wants to have his hand on your life and helping you, upholding you, sustaining you. But you need to be casting your cares on him. How is easy is it to hold someone's hand when you've got something in your hand? If I was holding a weight in my hand and I had to hold someone's hand at the same time, I wouldn't have a good grip. So I want to tell you, ladies, get a grip. <laughs> so turn to the person next to you and say, get a grip. Get a grip. <laughs> so it says in Psalm 55, 22, cast your burdens on to the Lord, releasing the weight of it, so you can get a grip, and he will sustain you. There's that word again. He will never allow you to consistent, the consistently righteous to be moved made to slip, fall, or fail. So even when we feel like we're failing, he'll still have a grip on us. We need to get a grip. He's holding us, but we need to not lose our grip on him. And that's a, it's a mind shift. It's a focus. It's a willingness. It's a humility um, that comes. And you know, like the brain firing thing, 
when we sink our mind, when we link into holding the hand of God, we're sinking our minds with the Prince of Peace. When we cast our worries onto him, we sink our mind onto him, and he replaces the worry with peace in our hearts. Sometimes you can go through the toughest of times and people are looking on thinking, wow, how are you managing that? And somehow you say, I don't know, but God's given me his peace at this time when I should be falling apart. And it's just that thing. God's hand, if we're holding on to him, it's a hand of protection. Not only that, it's a hand of provision. It's a hand of pleasures evermore. It says, in my right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's what it says in the Bible. If we're holding on to that, something's going to rub off. I mean, we've seen studies done <laughs> of when you shake someone's hand that's not washed their hands, and, and, and you're like, it's like if you, when you got those magic tablets, if you didn't clean your teeth properly and, and your teeth lit up like, Ooh. well, if you don't wash your hands and it kind of sticks to you, well, if you hold in the hand of God, you're hoping something rubs off on you. Those pleasures will rub off on you. That protection will rub off on you. That provision will rub off on you because God loves to bless you. God has got you, but you need to focus and get a grip. Hey? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. <clears throat> it says, so sinking our minds with the Prince of Peace. Again, there's beautiful promises. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. You will guard him and keep him in perfect and constant peace whose mind is stayed on you because he commits himself to you, to lean on you and hope confidently in you. So trust in the Lord. Commit yourself to him. Lean on him. Hope confidently in him forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. You can't lean on someone unless you're next to them. There has to be a closeness. And the beauty about holding someone's hand is you're at a good place to lean on them when you're going through a tough place. But you have to be close enough to be able to lean on someone. And something immovable is a rock. And that's what we need. Hey, definitely, we need it. Right, here's a, here's a funny thing, funny person to quote from. I wouldn't have thought I would have ever quoted from Charles Darwin, but here we go. He said something decent. I was like, actually, that's all right, pal. That's all right. I think I'll use that. <laughs> he said, the highest possible stage in moral culture is when we recognize that we ought to control our thoughts. I'm like, bang on there, Charles. Charlie boy. It's true. We do. We need to control our thoughts, eh? Because sometimes they're a way off there. We need to bring it back to the Prince of Peace. There was a study done. It was called German Beeper Study. I was reading a book on uh, willpower. Um, some psychologists have written some f cool books, but and it, it's quite cool, the study that happened. Anyway, this German beeper study took 200 men and women in central Germany, and they basically put this little beeper, who knows if it was on like a string and round their neck, and it beeped six or seven times throughout the hour and progressively throughout the 24-hour period. And at the time it beeped, the people in the study had to write down whether or not they were experiencing a desire of some sort, whether it was a positive desire or a desire that they were trying to refrain from. Um, and basically, um, the, the research that came back from that concluded that people spend at least a fifth of their waking hours resisting desires 
between that's basically between three and four hours every single day. That's pretty mental when you break it down and you look at it. So resisting desires such as to eat, to drink, to sleep, um, to interact on social media, um, to whether it's sexual desires, there's all these desires constantly firing, boom, boom, boom. So when the beeper went off, they had to see whether or not they experienced the desire they were trying to resist, um, or within it, within just a couple of minutes. And it was massive how many times people were writing down. But if we look back to a verse that we were just looking at a minute ago, Again, we'll read 1 Peter 5, verse 6. It says, Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. So there you have it. We all constantly, it's a constant battle. Not one of us is separate from it. Three and four hours every day that you're going to be fighting the devil. Resist, resist, resist. But what's God saying? Resist, stand firm. How are you able to stand firm? Because your LinkedIn, your focus is on the Prince of Peace. Your focus, your willingness, your surrender is on God. And that's able how you are able to stand firm. That's it said <coughs> in one of C.S. Lewis's quotes, it's saying is there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch and every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. There's a constant battle on. And sometimes we can forget about it and think that, oh, it's just me, I'm just constantly hungry or thinking of food. Or Sometimes it is that, you know, we could do with shaping our mind and doing better and in, in increasing our willpower um, but the good thing is, God's not given us a spirit of timidity, but of love, power, and a sound mind. And in some translations, itself a self-discipline. But there's a constant, uh, three and four hours every day. And that was just one study. It would maybe be higher with other people's. Is tomorrow you might have three or four hours of just battling. But you need to be held fast to creator God. I don't know, did I tell you about Eric Clapton? Did I mention that? Okay, so Eric Clapton, he, as you, most of you know, he's an incredible musician, very gifted man, um, and he had lots of wealth and fame from his incredible gift on, on the guitar, but that wasn't enough to sustain him through life, and he battled with addiction to drugs and to alcohol, and it came to a stage where he couldn't cope, alcohol couldn't sustain him, and he hit a place where he needed help, and he went to Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, Alcoholics Anonymous started from uh, actually two uh, Christians, actually. And what they get people to do in Alcoholics Anonymous is surrender, incredibly. It's the one way they can, uh, they kind of call it the 12 steps, um, a 12-step recovery tool. And they get people to pray. 
prayer was, um, God grant me to seren serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to things, change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And Eric Clapton got to a point where he thought, I can't do this anymore, I can't cope. And he says, I don't even know who I was praying to, but I broke down, I says, I give up, I surrender. And we sometimes need to be aware before we get to that place where we're so smashed up from trying to do it ourselves, and lock into the, the Savior, intertwine in his strength, interlock into his leaning on him for courage and strength. Amen? Amen. Here's another beautiful promise from God. It says in Isaiah 43, verse 10, Fear not, there's nothing to fear, for I am with you. Do not look around you in terror and be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and harden you to difficulties. Yes, I will help you and retain you with my victorious right hand of rightness and justice. His hand is victorious, and when we've got him, we can claim his victory. We may not see it, but we speak it out because the power of life and death is in the tongue. So we need to speak it out, ladies. It says also in verse 13, from the, the time of the first existence of day, from this day forth, I am he, and there is no one who can deliver you out of my hand. So you might think, oh, I'm too far gone. God's still got you. We just need to get a grip. We need to see ourselves, look in the mirror and say, get a grip, man. Resist them. I'm holding on the hand of God. I'm not doing this myself. I surrender to you, God. You'll give me the strength. I can get through this. If God is holding our hand and we can sink into him, you know what? We can take that effect and take it to someone else. Thinking about the thing, I'm holding God's hand and then I'm going to touch you and I'm going to believe that God is going to use me to let his power flow through me to someone else and bring peace in a situation. We need to forget all his benefits because they are for us, to work through us, to be a blessing to those around us, but for us because he loves us. He wants to affirm to you, I love holding your hand. I see your hands. I created them in the womb. I knitted you together. I think you're awesome. You just need to get, get that grip back. You've kind of got a wee bit independent. And you've kind of lost the grip. You need to get that grip back. It says in Proverbs 16, verses 2 and 3, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. The Lord weighs the thoughts and intents of the heart. And in verse 3, Roll your works upon the Lord. Commit and trust them wholly to him. And he will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to his will. And so shall your plans be established and succeed. Again, when we lock in, when we intertwine, when we roll that relationship, it's side by side. If I'm standing next to someone, I can hear them and they can hear me. I can hear them. We can roll our works on the Lord, trusting on him, not on ourselves. When we think about it, when we were um, made for the Garden of Eden, that perfect place, that beautiful place, that relationship with God where sin didn't enter in, we were told one thing, don't take from the tree of good, the knowledge of good and evil. And sometimes when we start to rely on our own knowledge, it's kind of like eating from the wrong tree. We're eating from the wrong tree. We need to get back to the tree of life. We need to take from Jesus. We're, we're taking from 
um, ourselves. We need to trust on God. Don't lean on yourself. Don't lean. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Why? Because you'll blow it. <laughs> Get grit. Get grit, girls. God is good. Intertwine and infuse your life by holding on the hands of the Savior because Jesus loves you. And I believe he wants to t- to say that to you, to encourage you, and to get you to refocus and to rewire and to, well, what would we call it, sink your mind. Let's just sink your mind. So I just want to take you a few minutes. Just Let's just close our eyes for a minute. Father God, we love you, Lord. You're such a good God. You're so kind. You're so loving. You want to tell us that our hands are beautiful, but to lock in and to to link in and to lean on and to focus on you, God, to lift our eyes from the problem to the Savior, from the one who can save, the one that can heal, the one that can bless, the one that can restore, the one that can lift up, the one that can sustain, the one that says, it's okay, I've got you, I'll hold you, I'll help you through. Thank you, Jesus, for your kindness, Lord. Thank you, God, that you love to hold our hands. Thank you, God, that you're so kind. Oh, you're such a good God, and we love you, Lord. I just pray that you'll speak to your ladies specifically, Lord God, of moments where they need to release something, release a weight in their life, God. Release that weight that's blocking that connection, Lord God. In Jesus' name, from holding your hand, Lord God. Do you know this song, girls? I almost had you doing a lip sync battle to this one. <laughs> Maybe next time, girls. But I want you to hear this song. And the next time you hear it, when you're out and about, remember that God has got your hand and he wants to hold your hand. Okay, this... These few lines are a wee bit funny. Couldn't quite get the logic of them, but. <laughs> but join in when you know the words, girls. <laughs> Not this bit again. It's a bit of a funny line. like a melting pot when you're not next to me. Absolutely. Come on. Anyone want to do a lip sync? <laughs> Katie will raise you. She'll smash it. Woo! It's good. Oh, ladies. Well, I hope tonight that God has spoken to you, that he has got you. He's holding you by the hand. And just ignore this bit. It's the funny two lines there. <laughs> but yeah, so be blessed. And please encourage you to bring along some friends to the close swap party. This is when we get an opportunity to bring people in to God and say, you know what? 
God wants to hold your hand. There's a creator in the heavens that's got a plan for me, but he's also got a plan for you. You just don't know it yet. And bring them back into the plan that God has created them to have. Amen. Amen. So turn to the person next to you and say, get a grip. Get a grip and bring someone along the next to dawn. All righty. All right, ladies. Love you. And have a good evening.